Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Heartland History, the podcast of the Midwestern History Association. And now here's your host, John Lauk. Welcome to another edition of Heartland History. Today, I would like to welcome Dr. Larry Lockridge. Dr. Lockridge is a professor of English emeritus at New York University, and today he is joining us uh, from his home study in Manhattan, close to NYU. Today, we will be talking about Larry's book entitled Shade of the Rain Tree, which was recently republished by Indiana University Press. Larry's book is, in many ways, a history of his father's famous book, Rain Tree County. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you very much for having me. Larry, let's begin today by having you describe for our listeners your father's book, Rain Tree County. We have some people in our audience, I'm sure, who have not heard the story of this famous novel. Uh, please give them a rundown of its history. Yes, it uh, published uh, January 5th, uh, that's today, in fact, uh, uh, in 1948, uh, and it was a, a literary uh, sensation uh, my father had uh, attempted to write uh, the great American novel. Uh, this was his first uh, novel, and that's rather a, a brazen undertaking, but he, this is what he, he hoped to do. He produced a 1,060-page uh, book, which uh, is uh, encyclopedic insofar as it attempts to embody American culture, uh, not just the regional culture of Indiana, where it is mostly uh, uh, set. Uh, it's a page-turner, and in this uh, he hoped to, to improve, as it were, on the, uh, the great writer James Joyce, whose novel Ulysses he, he very much ad admired, but he thought that the novel was too esoteric, that the common reader was left behind, always uh, deciphering. Uh, he wished to write a novel that would be accessible to the common reader and also uh, give a, um, America a, a boost, a spiritual boost that he thought it, it needed. Although there are dark shadings in, in the novel, uh, especially as uh, it moves along, uh, it is uh, in the end what he regarded as a spiritual testimony. The remarkable thing about uh, this is that uh, only two months after publication, uh, he killed himself in the family garage, and this was a uh, uh, an item carried on the the first page of, of the New York Times. Uh, this was the, uh, the current literary uh, celebrity. Uh, he had everything going for himself. The novel was number one on the bestseller list. He had a wife and four children. Uh, why had he done this? So uh, Donald Greiner, the critic, has said it's the, the greatest single mystery in American letters. In your book, Larry, you talk about your theory or your explanation 
for your father's suicide at this very important moment, at this moment when he had triumphed and had published this major book. Can you tell our listeners what your theory is or how you explain uh, the suicide in 
Um, he was already depressed. He had been hospitalized, had undergone shock therapy, electroconvulsive therapy under a fake name in Indianapolis, uh, and never did shake a, an intense major depression that lasted for uh, six months. Uh, the third factor I speak of is more cultural or sociological. What is it to uh, be a, a major writer in America? What, is, uh, what does it mean to um, have a success in America? His novel uh, was taken by Hilton Mifflin within five weeks of his, of his leaving it as a 20-pound manuscript in a battered suitcase. Um, it then won the MGM Award, the biggest single award ever given a movie which came with a novel which came with a book contract that was a major selection for for book of the month club um, and uh, each of these um, uh, institutions beginning with Holden Mifflin asked for major cuts Holden Mifflin wanted him to dump one-fifth of the novel the so-called dream section which has never been published uh, I think perhaps someday it should be uh, the uh, uh, MGM insisted as a condition of giving the award that he eliminate 100,000 words, which is longer than many novels in, uh, in itself. Uh, and the Book of the Month Club uh, didn't like a, a certain sex scene and they thought it was sour and uh, by that time he was sort of beaten down and agreed to cut that also. So uh, he was... Uh, uh, this was the underside, let's say, of success uh, in America, the, the seeming uh, 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 carrot that all writers aspire to and which turns to nightmares. Well, Larry, our deepest sympathies on the loss of your father, and uh, thank you for sharing this story with us today. You are listening to John Lauk interviewing Professor Larry Lockridge of NYU. Today we are talking about Professor Lockridge's book, Shade of the Rain Tree, which is an account of his father's writing of the famous and best-selling novel, Rain Tree County. Larry, I'd like to return uh, for a moment to the novel itself. Can you talk about its connections to the Midwest and the history of the Midwest and the history of Indiana? Yes, uh, it's uh, it's set uh, in its so-called day sections, which yield to a series of flashbacks of uh, the protagonist, John Wycliffe Shaughnessy. It, it's set in the town of Waycross, which is based on the little uh, community of Strawn, Indiana, uh, the old family house, the old Shockley house, um, uh, sits there still on the old National Road. And behind it um, ran the Pennsylvania Railroad. Uh, this was truly the heart of the heart of the country. Uh, my father thought that uh, with these homey family materials, he could put together uh, a narrative that was based largely on his grandfather, whom he had never met, uh, uh, John Wesley Shockley, who died in 1907, who was uh, a, a very minor poet. He was also a, a, a village uh, schoolmaster. Uh, he was briefly in the, in the Civil War. 
uh, uh, my father enhanced those uh, basic materials, uh, creating this character, John Wycliffe Shaughnessy, who lives through all the major events uh, in the 19th century, uh, beginning in 1839, uh, up to the day sections of uh, 18, July 4th, 1890, uh, 1892. Uh, and uh, uh, in the in the, in the course of, of, of this, uh, John Wycliffe um, Shaughnessy aspires to write the epic of his people, uh, but he can never get on with that task. Um, I suggest that it's because he, he is the rememberer. Uh, he is so weighed uh, down by the tragedies of his own past that he cannot write his way out of them. Uh, Ross Lockridge Jr. Uh, will do that for him. He will write the epic of America that his own protagonist is unable to do. Now, my father didn't like to think of this as a regional novel, um, and um, the, the composition had begun in 1941 with an earlier version, which uh, went to 2,000 pages, entitled American Lives, which was largely a regional agrarian novel. Um, uh, two years uh, after beginning that, he simply turned it over and began Raintree County on the other side, expanding the the reference. Uh, there would be a city section, for example, uh, set in New York City. There would be a chapter uh, set in, in, in Philadelphia. Uh, John Wycliffe Shaughnessy would, would journey to, to uh, New Orleans. Uh, there's also a sense of the Great West opening up through the, 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 the great national road. Um, and uh, in, in doing this, um, he thought of this, yes, as a kind of mi microcosm um, where uh, all of these events would, uh, as it were, conspire in the mind of, of John Wycliffe Shaughnessy, who would convert them into uh, a, an epic. Now, John Wycliffe Shaughnessy uh, is countered throughout the novel by his rival, Jerusalem Webster Stiles, who is uh, uh, very much a, a Mephistopheles-type character who, who counters um, John uh, Shaughnessy's idealism with his own uh, brand of, of um, cynicism. It's very much uh, uh, the voice, I think, of Samuel Clemens. Uh, and uh, frequently it seems that he's getting the better of the argument. Uh, uh, one might say that uh, eventually in my father's life, he very much gets the better of, of the argument. Uh, the uh, um, MGM uh, did a, a movie, uh, which I think, uh, well, it has its fans, but I think it, in most respects it's pretty terrible. But uh, Millard Kaufman, who did the script, this was nine years after my father's death, and my father had nothing to do with the film. Um, Millard uh, Kaufman, uh, the creator of Mr. Magoo, uh, was com confronting a novel in which the two major heroines die, and you can't do that. Uh, so uh, Susanna Drake, one of the uh, one of the heroines was played by Elizabeth Taylor and her first Academy Award nomination. Nell Gaither uh, was played by even Marie Saint, um, and John Wycliffe Shaughnessy was uh, played by Montgomery Cliff. Uh, this was uh, quite a, a lineup, and uh, I must say, uh, 
uh, an enhancement uh, of sorts of for the basic uh, material of, of, of small town, regional, uh, strong Indiana. Larry, why do you think your father resisted the idea of of casting his novel as a regional work? And what was his larger thinking about regionalism and regionalist literature? I think this uh, might bring up the, uh, the, the fact of his own father, uh, Ross Lockridge Sr., who was known as Mr. Indiana. Uh, he got his own first uh, page of Obeds, but in Indiana papers, um, uh, known as Mr. Indiana. Uh, he uh, was a kind of impresario who uh, concocted uh, what he called historical, uh, historic site recitals where he would go to various places and cow pastures throughout the state of Indiana and evoke uh, the uh, the giants in the earth uh, who had spoken words on those various sides. Uh, uh, Ross Lockery Sr. didn't really look beyond very much the boundaries of of, of Indiana, though he was very much aware of the Old Northwest, uh, which hadn't yet become the Midwest. And uh, uh, I think in in part the the expansion uh, beyond the state boundaries and beyond the Midwest was... uh, uh, in response uh, to the more parochial vision of his of his father, why did Ross Lockridge's father, the historian who did all this work on the history of Indiana, why was he drawn to this sort of work, and and who who would have been his? Um, predecessors in Indiana history? Who did he draw on for the work he did in um, Indiana? And where did he do his historical work? I assume he was connected with Bloomington and the Historical Society there, but I'm not sure of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, good, uh, good, uh, good question, um, and I suppose I didn't um, explain all of that in the in the biography. There just wasn't room for yet another biography. Um, he grew up on the Eel River, Ross Lockridge Sr., the Kanapokomoko, the, uh, the Indian name for the river, um, and uh, was uh, uh, quite attached to the land and, and to the river and also to the, especially to the, the sense of the ghosts of the Native Americans uh, who had lived there, a uh, little turtle, for, for example. Uh, when he went off to um, Indiana University, he majored in, in history, um, and uh, but subsequently took a law degree, went out to Oklahoma, uh, where he served as a judge, a county judge, uh, but was drawn back to the banks of the Wabash, the Sackness of Hoosiers, and um, uh, ending up in Fort Wayne, which is the uh, city in Indiana uh, most invested in, in history. Um, he uh, arrived there in 1917, just one year after the great historical pageant uh, was presented there um, in, in honor of the centennial of the state. Um, 
and um, uh, this is where he found his uh, his true passion. Though his 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 day jobs, as it were, were were boring, but what he quite enjoyed was historical reenactment. Uh, I theorize, and it's only that that he was. Um, responding to major tragedies in his own life and denying the pastness of the past. Uh, uh, you could evoke uh, the past, make it present once again by reciting the, the, the words um, spoken by the great people. Uh, it's, um, uh, he was never a, a associated with the history department at Indiana University. When they turned from uh, to uh, Bloomington from Fort Wayne, um, he had a, a sort of a personal connection with William O'Brien, the then president of Indiana University. Um, he wanted his own department. He wanted a full professorship. Um, he didn't get any of that. Um, he um, uh, through the education school though was able to. Um, uh, uh, give classes in public speaking and recitation and oratory, and also he he began to take this uh, this show on show on the roads, so what he called history on wheels. Uh, in 1932, for example, um, he uh, had a a caravan of of uh, students in a, enrolled in class, including my father, who toured all over the state, visited 65 important historical sites in three weeks, um, uh, camping out, singing, um, my grandfather impersonating and reciting, uh, largely by memory, uh, the, the words of the, uh, of the, of the greats uh, before him. But um, the Department of History, so far as I know, uh, at Indiana in those days, uh, had little interest in local History. History was something that happened in medieval France, uh, not in one's own backyard. Uh, he helped to change that. He was, uh, uh, for example, uh, much concerned with um, oral history, with uh, uh, finding out from uh, first settlers or their offspring um, all that they knew or remembered about, for example, Morgan's raid, uh, which he had uh, an historical reenactment of. Um, it, it would be hard to say, I think, uh, um, at least I don't know, um, who, um, uh, what historians um, uh, may have um, influenced him. My own uh, sense is that he, he mostly fought this up uh, on his own. Um, this, was, um, uh, this was his his own passion, his um, uh, originality. He was not a great mind as an historian or in any other way. Um, he certainly had a, a, a passion for the stories of history and was, uh, more than anything else, a storyteller. Uh, historians, they cannot be storytellers. 
You are listening to Heartland History. I am your host, John Lauk. Today we are visiting with Larry Lockridge about his book that was published by Indiana University Press, first in 1994 and then reissued in 2014. We are talking about his book entitled Shade of the Rain Tree. Larry, could you tell us uh, what is a rain tree and what is its connection to the state of Indiana? It, um, it, it comes uh, from, uh, from China. It's, uh, it was first introduced in the community of New Harmony by Thomas Say. The seeds were planted there. And if you go to New Harmony today, you'll find that uh, it's a town mostly enshrouded in in rain trees, regarded by some as a kind of weed tree. Um, it uh, has golden flowers um, in, in the spring, in the late spring. Uh, my father had wrote at his uh, father's behest uh, the, the, a pageant uh, of, of the rain tree, uh, the golden rain tree, which was produced in New Harmony. Uh, first in 1937, but subsequently on many other occasions, including 1948, the year of my father's death. Um, it, uh, uh, it was written in blank verse that he tossed off. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, he was paid $50 by his father, uh, through the, who was directing at that time the, the New Harmony Commission. And, um, my father uh, often said that he would pay fifty dollars to buy it back. But, uh, in fact, he didn't even go to the first uh, performance. Do you think that this has anything to do? This tradition of the rain tree in New Harmony. Does this have anything to do with the sycamore trees? And I, I know the Indiana State. Um, mascot is the sycamores is there something about the significance of these trees in indiana that we should understand i, I think that probably my uh, new harmony put the rain tree on on the map but of course uh dresser's uh song doesn't speak of rain trees but of the of sycamores and um it's uh, uh, it's the uh, uh, it's it, it simply a, it becomes in my father's novel uh, the tree of life and um, uh, has a, a rather thick uh, symbolism uh, um, uh, uh, surrounding it. Uh, uh, since the publication of Rain Tree County, uh, the tree has uh, sprouted up here and there. There are several such, uh, for example, now in Bloomington. And there, there hadn't been uh, before. Uh, it doesn't always thrive, uh, um, but it, it's uh, it is a beautiful gnarled tree, and um, uh, it's uh, I, I can't of course look at them without thinking of, of my father. In fact, Washington Square Park here in New York has uh, rain trees around the perimeter. Larry, uh, you obviously have a deep knowledge of the history of Indiana and are very conscious of your Indiana roots. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about where you went after growing up in Indiana and how you ended up as a professor of English at NYU in Manhattan? I, 
I considered other careers. Um, English was a, was a default um, a pursuit. I think had my father lived, I would not have been an English major. Um, like my father, I went off to Harvard after I took my, um, my undergraduate degree at Indiana University. Um, and uh, it's, uh, uh, and then simply settled in writing uh, books, uh, academic books, um, though I didn't think of them as academic, uh, but uh, uh, writing um, academic books, uh, philosophic criticism, uh, largely centered around the British Romantics, that again would seem to be somewhat imitative of my father, who had a great interest in Keats and in Byron. But uh, it's been a, a good career. Um, Sometimes I think I should have gone into the natural sciences, uh, but um, it's, uh, it, it has served me well. Larry, you mentioned your study of the British Romantics and your father's interest in this line of study. Are there any connections we should make between the British Romantics or Romanticism in general and this very interesting phase of Indiana history that's been called the golden age of, of Indiana literature, which produced um, Booth Tarkington and Lou Wallace and uh, Riley and many other uh, prominent writers or writers who were once prominent. Are there any connections there? Well, the, um, uh, the professor in the uh, in, in, in Raintree County is a uh, 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 comes from the uh, the born in Indiana returns uh, from the east, um, and uh, it brings a kind of um, a classical civility uh, to uh, back to the the uh, state of his of his uh, origin. Um, the uh, uh, James Wickham Riley was um, uh, a, a very, very important figure, um, but um, I don't see a, a direct connection between James Wickham Riley and, and, and John Keats, for example. The uh, uh, connection there was uh, was sort of more um, Emerson and, and uh, Thoreau. Um, uh, the uh, never much noticed, in fact, a, a connection except for my father uh, between uh, the, the, uh, the tradition of which you speak in Indiana and the, and the British Romantics. Uh, at least it's, a, it's an influence that has, uh, if it's there, has, has passed me by. Is the connection to Emerson and Thoreau the connection that all of these writers, uh, including the writers of the Indiana uh, Golden Age, wanted to establish an American voice in literature and an American presence in the world of letters. And is that what makes them stand out? Is that what unifies them? Um, well, I, I think so. It's... Um, uh, it's um, I think it was uh, difficult to uh, be in the Midwest and to uh, think that one was entitled to a writer's voice. Uh, it's, um, uh, and um, it, it's, uh, yeah, one, one sees this worked out, in, uh, of course, in my uh, father's 
the life and career as he was so intent on on becoming that voice uh, not not only of indiana but of uh, of a um, of a of a literary movement that he hoped would move beyond um uh modernism uh, he is um regarded um i i think on the periphery of the american canon though even so his um novel largely unread uh, people are are um, are happy to hear that they don't have to read a 1,060-page book. <laughs> uh, but, but certainly, it's um, he attempted to get the language of, of Indiana uh, as he attempted to get so many different kinds of language into his his novel. Uh, um, he uh, found this in, in good measure through journalism, reading uh, 19th-century American or Indiana. Uh, newspapers and um, imitating uh, the language that he he found there. Um, uh, so in, in a sense, uh, yes, it's a, a voice of one's own as a Hoosier that um, he was seeking, like uh, the, his uh, forebears that you that you mentioned. Uh, Ross Lockery Sr. was a, a great fan of uh, James Wickham Riley, by the way, and um, uh, did, a, did a lot of James Wickham Riley on the road. You have been listening to Heartland History. I am your host, John Lauk. We have been visiting today with a famous Hoosier, Dr. Larry Lockridge, professor of English emeritus at New York University. He came to us today from uh, downtown Manhattan, uh, where he was in his study. Thank you, Larry, for joining us today. We really appreciated your recollections about your father's famous novel and our discussion about a lot of Indiana history. Thank you very much, John. Join us again soon for another edition of Heartland History. Thank you again for tuning in to Heartland History. If you would like more information about the Midwestern History Association, visit us at midwesternhistory.com. You'll have access to information about memberships, news about upcoming conferences, calls for papers, and panel proposals related to Midwestern history. You might also be interested in subscribing to the print journal Middle West Review or reading our online journal Studies in Midwestern History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. Until next time.